everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I've got a great episode for you today with a guest who's been on the show before. His name is Ramit Sethi. He's the founder of I Will Teach You How to Be Rich and the best-selling author of Book of the Same Name and the host of the I Will Teach You to Be Rich podcast, where he speaks directly with couples about how to build a better relationship with money and with each other. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode, how money and relationships go together and don't go together. One of the biggest issues in relationships is money. And even in dating, you might really like someone, but you have different financial goals, different financial practices and visions, and it's it's not going to work. Or you already might be in a relationship and finances, money, all that stuff is one of the areas you really struggle with. Or maybe, you know, you think you've really nailed it with relationship and money, but I bet you can learn a few things by listening to this episode. So if you want to learn how to talk to your partner about money or big purchases, if you want to learn what some red flags are when you're dating someone, when it comes to finances, if you want to learn a lot about love and money, then you're going to love this episode. And I want to thank my sponsor for this episode, which is Organifi. You always get 20% off all of your Organifi products when you go to Organifi.com slash over it and use over it as the promo code. Today, I want to talk to you about their green product. So eating healthy and getting your nutrition shouldn't be a pain in the butt, time consuming and expensive. And organic veggies can get pretty expensive and not always that convenient to shop for, depending on where you live and what season it is, so on and so forth. So you can subscribe to Organifi and get their green powder delivered. And it costs only $1.98 per day to get basically vegetables in a powder. And you can really, really trust Organifi's product. I love them. I love the way that they make things. I love their ethos and I love the way their products taste. Their green has a clinical dose of ashwagandha made with clinically studied KSM 66 ashwagandha to help reduce stress, promote relaxation, improve quality of life, support a healthy immune system, promote memory and concentration, control stress-related things, food cravings, support quality of sleep, support physical performance and endurance, and support sexual health. Hey, pretty good for $1.95 a day. And if you don't want to subscribe, you can just go to Organifi.com slash over it and get 20% off any of your orders using the promo code over it. All right. And now on to my conversation with Ramit. Ramit, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. I love what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about relationship and money. And this is such an important thing to talk about because I have seen in my years of coaching individuals and couples that one of the things that causes stress in relationships and potentially even breaks relationships up is money. Different values around money, different spending practices, um, different backgrounds, you know, if one person was raised with money, one person wasn't. I mean, the list is endless in terms of how money can cause rifts in relationships. So before we dive into that, I'm curious what's made you so passionate about exploring partnership and finances? Because you've been in the financial world for years, as long as I've known you, that's been your area of expertise. But this is really niching down into a pretty important but specific part of money. I think I, one of the things is, you know, I've been doing money for 20 years and I just said to myself, if I have to write about the difference between a traditional and a Roth IRA again, I'm going to go insane. <laughs> and I've done it. And, you know, it's like, read my book, look at my blog. On a personal level, I actually think that it is absolutely fascinating the way that people in relationships treat money. One of the examples is my own relationship. When my wife and I started to talk seriously about getting engaged, we discussed things like a prenup 
that was extremely challenging. And I knew if it was hard for me, the money guy, then it's gotta be difficult for other people. The other thing that happened was once we were married, it was still challenging. You know, now it's not questions like how much are we gonna spend on the wedding or are we doing this prenup? It's questions like how do we bring our finances together and how do we make decisions as a unit? And that was eye-opening. So when I started to finally get people asking, they saw that I got married, so married people are more comfortable once I was married. They would ask me, how do I talk to my wife about this? Or my husband spends more than we make. And that became the genesis for an entire new area of work, including a brand new podcast. I, I think people love it when we can talk about how our own, our own life informs things. How, how long have you been with your wife now? Four years. Four years. Okay. Four years married. Yeah. Four years married. How long together? Oh, probably eight, eight plus years. All right. So you've got some time. You're pushing yeah. on a decade of being together. Yeah. What are the things you've personally had to overcome in your own relationship or deal with, not necessarily overcome, but deal with in your own relationship? Where have you guys been aligned and mm. where have you been not aligned and what have you done to get on the same page? Well, most aligned were that we were raised pretty similarly. You know, mm -hmm. both of our moms were teachers. We were raised in fairly similar middle-class families and those values really imprint, you know, they influence us and we are influenced by them. Other things that we were aligned on is just a general sense of what is important to us. For example, we both love to travel and we both spend probably a disproportionate amount of money traveling. So that helps. However, we were not aligned on a lot of things. When it comes to money and when we started seriously discussing money, you know, one thing is that my wife at the time had a nine to five job, a very nice job, but I'd been running my business for about 15 years by that point. So I had become quite savvy with money because it's my line of business. I'd also accumulated a considerable amount of money because I run my own business and I've been lucky and hard work and all of those things. So we were coming to money from different perspectives of, for example, how much should we spend on an apartment? living in, at the time, Manhattan. What kind of travel should we do? I love nice hotels. My wife, it's not as much her thing. She appreciates them, but it doesn't drive her. And so we had to get aligned on that. And once it came time to dialing in our daily or monthly spending, what kind of systems do we want to set up that work for both of us? Uh, I think it would have been very easy for me to just run everything, but I'm glad that I insisted that we both do it. That was really important. Mm, mm. What do you think it happened if only one of you did it? Like if you ran everything? I know exactly what would happen. Mm. First of all, it'd be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you that. It, it, it is, that's the truth. It is easier if one person, especially one person who knows more about money runs it. It is easier, but that doesn't mean it's right. So it would have been easier it. because that's I huge. would have been. That's really huge. I just yeah, wanna I, let that land with people for a second. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean it's right. And I would have run things my way, which I know how to do the money thing, but I'll tell you what would have gone wrong. And this is exactly what I told my wife. I said, number one, I'm gonna die one day. It's not morbid to say it, I am going to die. And the last thing I would wanna do would be to have managed our money for 40 years, 50 years, and suddenly you are defenseless and don't even know where the accounts are or what all this money means. That's number one. Number two, I want both of us to be good stewards of our money. Stewards, meaning 
We decide where the money goes, which charities are we donating, what's important to us, what's not. We've got to do that together. It cannot just be me. And three, it's just more fun. This is money. It's not gardening or emptying the dishwasher, which one person typically delegates to them. This is money. It affects everything from where we live, where we travel, children, everything. So I need a partner in this and I want to have fun doing it. And for those three reasons, I think we should both manage money. Mm, that's very mature. <laughs> very mature. And, and also, I think, very loving. Because you're right. It is – there's certain things I can think of in my relationship with my husband that I'm better at and that I'd love to just do and I'd love to mm -hmm. just take over. But when I leave him out of it, it he's left out of it. And it it isn't yeah. a teamwork. It disempowers thing. him. It does disempower. And I do think there's certain That's things. Right. It's it's great to have certain roles in relationship, like not both people need to do everything. But especially with something like money, mm -hmm. that's big. That's really big. It's and big. I just actually had to go to the bank today to sign some documents. And when I've been I've definitely been more focused on Athena right now. And Steph's been handling more of our financial stuff because we did this huge tax strategy and all the stuff for the trust. And you know, you have a kid and you get inspired to change some things financially, or at least we did. Mm -hmm. And I went down to the bank and they're asking me these questions about the trust. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And in that moment, I felt so embarrassed. Of, like, how, how am I not a participant in our finances? Because that's a big difference for me. And I, I felt it in that moment of, wow, if something happened to Steph right now, there's a lot I wouldn't know in terms of where things yeah. are. Or what. And even though it's only been nine months since I've been out of it, I felt very disempowered in that moment. So it's it's interesting that happened right before this conversation with you because- That is interesting. Mm -hmm, because I'm like, wow, I, I that think felt very disempowering. That's a perfect word for it. That's a good way of you recognizing that maybe something is out of alignment. Right. I, I do agree that you know it's been only nine months. You could certainly give yourself the grace of saying, hey, I've been focused on other things. But I also love that recognition that, hey, this is something that I've got to add to my list of something that I want to change. And I also love hearing both partners in a relationship want partnership when it comes to money. Oftentimes, you'll have the person who's typically savvier with money saying, oh, I'll just handle this. No problem. I'll take it. And the other person goes, yeah, that sounds good. You're better with money anyway. And that is also unhealthy. Both partners have to want to be involved with money because in the beginning, it's kind of hard. You got to look at these numbers. You don't know how much percentage of your gross income you should be spending on housing and these ratios and stuff. But you've got to understand the promise. The promise is that we go through this journey together. We get to design our rich life. And that is really fun. That's something that most couples don't do. They think money's just numbers. No, the numbers are the least of it. You get to talk about how often do we want to travel? Do we want to have children? Where do we want to send them to school? Everything. How much do we want to tip when we go out? Everything. And you get to have these conversations. Notice my language. You get to have mm -hmm. these conversations about what kind of life you want to lead and then how to use your money to live it. To me, that's a gift. Yeah, it really is. And it can save you a lot of headache down the road. For people that, that maybe are dating right now, that aren't in a committed relationship, in those early days when you're you know doing the auditioning and trying to figure <laughs> out if this person is a good match, what are some things to ask or to talk about when it comes to money? Well, some of the advice out there is really hilarious. You yeah. know, there's, there's people in the finance world, they go, you should be asking about each other's finances on date one. And I'm like, have you guys ever gone on a first date? <laughs> 
ever? Come on. Let's be realistic. In the first first date, second date, third date, nobody's talking about their IRAs, all right? Get real. But I do think that we are constantly looking at clues. The clues can be as straightforward as which restaurant or bar did this person suggest we meet at? It can be a little bit more subtle about where did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Those things. And it can even be as curiosity driven as, um, you know, what would you like to do in your life? You know, what excites you? Those are some general ways that people almost unconsciously learn about each other in an early dates. But I think that there are a few key pivotal moments where it makes a lot of sense to just explicitly talk about money. Mm. The first would be, you know, when you decide perhaps to be in a committed relationship. That's pretty, you know, relatively early on. And you might say, look, this is amazing. For me, here are the things that are important to me, family, travel, money, et cetera. And I wonder if we could just talk about them. We should get on the same page, you know? And that's a real loose, easy way to bring up those topics. A next pivotal moment would be if you decide to move in together. Another, getting engaged. Another, getting married. Certainly another, having children. Those are these early pivotal moments in relationships where it just makes all the sense in the world to talk about money in a deepening way. Yeah. Yeah. And we can't be afraid to talk about that. It's like money and sex. The two things that can really make or break a relationship seem to be the things that we don't talk about as much. And what advice do you have for people that have money shame? They have some debt, you know, maybe they declare bankruptcy. They just got out of a marriage where they lost a lot of money and they don't, they, they have shame talking about it. What would you say to them? It's really common. It's really common. The most common one is around credit card debt and student loan debt. And my approach with this is, look, most of us did not grow up formally learning about money. Okay. Most of us tried to do the best we can, but also most of us have never read a single good book about personal finance. So let's be honest. There are things we did not learn. There are systemic reasons that make it hard to save money. And then also we have not probably taken personal responsibility as well. So we can acknowledge all those things. What partners are looking for is not that you have a perfectly calibrated financial system, but rather most partners, I think, are looking for you to be honest and for you to acknowledge your situation and then have a plan going forward. So uh, let's say you have $15,000 in credit card debt. It might go something like this. You might say, you know, I've really wanted to have a conversation and I know we've talked about money a little bit, but there's something that's been on my mind and I want to be very transparent with you. When I was in my twenties, I lived in an expensive city and nobody really taught me about money. And so I was going out and I just accumulated more debt than I ever thought I would. And at its peak, it was 30,000. I've paid that down to 15,000, but I want to be totally transparent with you. You know, it doesn't feel good to have it. It feels like something I should have brought up earlier. And I do have a plan. I know that it will be paid off by December 2025. But I just wanted to be really open with you because I know money is important to me, to you, and it will be important to both of us. And it's something that I wanted to start a conversation about. Okay. I hope everybody took notes and just used that script exactly if you have the situation because that was was perfect. And the way you spoke, it sounded very empowering. It was honest, but it wasn't shameful. You know, it's just like this yeah. is the way it is. I think we really we teach people how to react to us and respond to us. 
and treat exactly. us. Exactly. But if we come at something exactly. and we feel so much shame and we're apologizing and we're like, I don't think you, you may not want to be with me after this. Yes. It's not hot. But if we. It's tragic. It's, it's, it's awful. And you're like, nobody wants, unless you're somebody that has the savior thing running and you like to rescue people, which is another, <laughs> this is another podcast. Then it's, you're going to be like, yeah. oh, that's not, that's not. And, and my audience knows this because we've shared openly about it. When Steph and I met, we were in totally different first of all we were different countries we were in completely different planets financially he was in debt i was not and had worked you know almost a 20 year career and making pretty good financial decisions around the road along the way so we were just in yeah different planets and when he told me the way he told me was not with any shame it was with a ton of ownership and with a commitment to a work ethic He's like, I know this won't be like this forever. I know I just need to wow. be in the right place with the right people. I know I know it's going to shift. And within a year of us being together, he completely, completely shifted his income, his relationship with money, everything. And if he had come to me with a lot of shame about it and a lot of like, if it had been tragic, as you said, I would have been like, where's the door? Like, this is mm. not, no thank you. But I have to admit, it was confronting for me because I... I've, I've had a slow, steady build. I definitely struggled in my 20s with some debt and whatever and not knowing credit card stuff, but I, I figured it out pretty fast. So by 25, I was pretty, you know, I was out of debt and I had a pretty good head, head around money. And so it was frightening for me to, you know, because we got married very, we got married three months after we met because we lived in different countries. So mm. I went through the whole, do I do a prenup? Do I not? It was so confronting. But what I kept coming back to was his integrity and his work ethic. And that's the other thing about money that I've learned is that people can transform their past with the right education, with the right willingness. But if they're kind of stuck in the money story and the loop and the victim and that I can't, then it's really hard to change it. Which, which brings me to a question of – we're going to get more into relationships in a second, but in the dating world, what would you say are some red flags when it comes to finances? Like if behavior or comments of, of people that, that you would advise someone to run the other direction because it's just going to be a money disaster. Number one red flag, not willing to talk about money. That's a huge red flag. Because even if you have vastly different perspectives on money, that's okay. There are a lot of couples who get married and they don't agree on everything. And that's perfectly fine. Isn't it a relief to hear that you don't have to agree with your partner on everything and you can still have a long, healthy relationship? I think it is. But if they're not even willing to talk about it, that is a huge problem. There's no way, there's no magical script around that if they're simply shut down. You know, I remember speaking to this couple on my podcast, one of the early episodes, top first 10, and they're a Canadian couple and they came to me because they were asking some question about redecorating their bathroom. But they'd both grown up very middle class, and when I asked them what their rich life was, his response was, put some money away for the kids, retire, and that's about it. I said, what are you talking about? You just got married like two years ago. You fast forwarded 45 years? Like, does anything happen there? You're gonna take a trip? <laughs> You're gonna buy a car, anything? And it was very difficult to get him to open up. And typically, I'm very good at getting people to describe their rich lives. Uh, most people desperately crave the ability to talk about it. It's just no one's ever asked him. So I asked him and I probed and I asked all my questions. And he finally said, you know, it'd be cool to go to the Super Bowl. 
and I had their finances in front of me. I go, yeah, we can make that happen. I could help you get there in less than five years. And his answer was, well, I don't know. I, I don't really believe that. He was completely unwilling to even entertain the idea that it might be possible for him to dream bigger. If you encounter that in a first date or a second date or three months, that's a huge red flag. That would be the biggest. Other ones would be a lack of generosity, vastly different perspectives on money. Like if one of you grew up extremely wealthy and the other in extreme poverty, you could make it work, but you're going to have vast differences in the basic understandings or conceptions of money that might make it very difficult. Yeah. 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 And I think it's like, if you get that pit in your gut, <laughs> when someone says something or does something with money, it's like, Oh, listen to that. Mm -hmm. that. So it's, it's a good sign. Your body really tells you your body tells uh, you. again, most people, you have to remember that most people did not learn about money. They're just trying to make do and interpret what they saw. So inevitably, when I talk to these couples, we'll talk about how they grew up and I'll ask them questions like, what do you remember your parents or your family saying about money? And the answers are all very, very common. They'll say, um, we don't talk about money in this family or we can't afford it or that's for rich people, et cetera, et cetera. And it's amazing because I'll speak to people who have $800,000 in debt, but I'll also speak to people with net worths over $10 million, right? All over the gamut, straight, gay, international, American, everything. And most people believe that they are rational, almost robotic, that they sit there at the grocery store and they're looking at two different cream cheeses and they're comparing the value per ounce. Little do they realize that most of us make our financial decisions based on something we heard around the dinner table 35 years ago. That's why multimillionaires still often worry about money. And they say, can I afford it? And I'm sitting there looking at the interest they make every month from their 10 plus million dollars. It's so obvious, but it's not about the numbers. It's really about the feeling that they still remember when they were little kids. Mm, yeah. There's a lot to work out. It's, it's, we have a relationship with money, just like we have relationships with our parents and other people. It impacts us. It's, it's a, it should be a whole level of personal development, which is why I yes. love what you do. And I keep having you back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we should teach it in school and all the things. But let's shift more into relationships now. So you're in relationship and you just notice some patterns. For example, your your partner just spends a lot. Like they're just always buying things. And it may not be big purchases, but it's just a little thing here, a little thing there. Seems like Amazon's always at the front door. And it, you're just noticing a pattern of overspending. And the thing that's interesting is that I think overspending is an interesting term because you can have the means, but just because you have money doesn't mean spend it. Right. And I, I see that with a lot of people. Like they they especially if they're quick to making money, they just start spending it just because they have it. So I guess I'm asking two questions. So let me separate them out. First question is your partner's doing a behavior. I'm just using the example. You can come up with any example that bothers you and that makes you feel unsafe and you don't think is the best financial decision. What's the best way to talk to your partner about that? Well, the ideal way is that you already have a recurring monthly rich life review meeting on the books and it gives you the time and space to proactively talk about money and you bring it up then that is the best way now what percentage of listeners have that probably zero <laughs> that's okay that's fine most people do not it's, but i'll tell you how you can get there because 
I want to paint the picture of what it takes to have a really healthy relationship with money. Just like parenting or just like anything important, you do not only talk about it when things go wrong. You want to talk about it all the time. That way things go right. And so with money, where you can start is by saying, you know what? There's something that's been on my mind and I'm just really curious how you think about it. I noticed that we got like six Amazon boxes last week and I don't open all the boxes, but I'm just curious, you know, what are you ordering and what do you, what's your thought process behind it? Notice that it's very innocent and you actually need to be genuinely curious. If you go into this going, oh, I'm gonna get Ramit's scripts and then I'm gonna crush him. That's not a healthy yeah. <laughs> approach. But it, you maybe they're like, oh, I'm planning ahead because I know that we're both gonna be busy two weeks from now, so I decided to just get ahead. Oh, wow, that is so nice of you. I would have never known. Thank you so much. On the other hand, if it's like, oh, I got this and I got that, and I bought an extra 10-ounce mustard bottle. Oh, well, you know we have three mustard bottles already. Do you think that there's a better way for us to be able to plan out what we need so that we can do it together? Because I would hate to have to order 10 bottles of mustard and have them just sitting there, okay? Again, we're starting gentle. The key thing is you do not need to resolve every single financial issue in one conversation. This is key. It's like going on a first date. You're not trying to understand your family's genealogy and his or her genealogy. No, you're just trying to get to know each other, have a nice drink, and call it a day. It's the same thing with money conversations. You have the rest of your life to work this out. The first one is really the goal should be that you end the conversation with a smile, look each other in the eye, and say, I love you. That is a successful money conversation. Mm, mm, I love that. And I think I have found in my own relationship and working with so many clients, it is often difficult to keep emotions out of money conversations because they can be very, very triggering. So best advice for staying level-headed <laughs> during those conversations. Well, money is emotional. Yeah. Money is emotional. We can't disentangle. One of the greatest lies that we've been told is that if you're emotional with money, that it's a bad thing. Mm. It's not. You know, I, I have I have a lot of guys who will come and they'll look down on people who are quote emotional with money, you know, and they they use words like that's frivolous. Why why are they spending all this money on this frivolous stuff? And handbags are the convenient topic, you know. They oh that's so stupid. Why would anyone do that? Meanwhile, they hop into their seventy five thousand dollar truck, okay, which is financed of course, and then they drive off on their one mile flat road commute. And when you ask him, um, excuse me, why do you need a truck with a TCO of $110,000, which by the way, you totally cannot afford looking at your conscious spending plan. They go, Ramit, are you stupid? The features on this truck are far <laughs> superior to the other one. I go, I'm going to kill somebody right now. Yeah. So money is emotional. And if you give me 10 minutes with anybody, I'll find something that they are emotionally spending on. My approach here is to acknowledge the emotions. Like I buy some things that are completely irrational on paper, but they make me happy and I can afford it. So I do it. Every one of us does that. If you're a parent, you might buy a name brand diapers. Why? You could get generic diapers. Why do you buy those? Why do you have a certain type of candle or cream? It's okay to be emotional about money. What is not okay is to simultaneously ignore the numbers. So if somebody says, well, I buy this $50 cream, it makes me happy, but they're running out of money and they're gonna be bankrupt in two months, that's not okay. If they spend too much on housing, which is the number one financial mistake that people make, number two is the car, 
and they just go, well, this, this car makes me happy. Well, I'm sure it does, but you cannot afford it. And the people who say that have never looked at the numbers. So we've got to be savvy with our emotions and we've got to be savvy with the numbers as well. Yeah. Yeah. You caught me on the diapers. <laughs> Which brand? I can't even pronounce it, but I think it's called Cordier. What? It's a foreign brand? I don't think it's foreign, but I'm really picky about no toxin, no dyes, no bleach. Oh my God. Nothing. How much and do these diapers cost? so soft. Um, <laughs> I love it. Listen they to that. They could be, they could, but it's like, but that's what I will spend on. Don't, don't, don't defend it. Just tell me how much it costs. I, I honestly don't know, but I would guess close to a dollar a diaper. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I just love this. I have to say, I love it because everyone has something they spend a ton on mm -hmm. and they will admit it behind closed doors, but they get very uncomfortable admitting it publicly. And I, and rightfully so, because the general public loves to build people up. Let me tell you, the general public loves rich people who pretend they're poor. Mm. Oh, Bill Gates. He's just like you and me. He wears Dockers. <laughs> Bill Gates has an 89,000 square foot house, okay? He's yeah. not like you, and he's not like me. Oh, Warren Buffett, what a friendly guy. He drinks Coke and eats at McDonald's. Warren Buffett owns a private jet company, okay? <laughs> Let's get real. So, you know, these all these stories, oh, he's, he's so modest. He's a multimillionaire. He flies economy class. Fine. I don't think it's virtuous to spend less money than you have. I don't think it's virtuous to live a smaller life than you can. I actually think it's a tragedy. Now, I do think what you choose to spend your money on can be unique. For you, these awesome diapers <laughs> are part of your rich life. Mm -hmm. And you can afford it. Mm -hmm. Love it. Mm -hmm. Spend it. In mm -hmm. fact, as I always say, spend extravagantly on the things you love as long as you cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. Yeah. I have things I spend a ton on and things I spend like way, way below what people would expect. Yeah. That's what I want. I want people to spend a ton on certain things and also cut way back on others. Yeah. Where most of my money goes is, is health. Health, anything, mm. good food, health things, supplements, whatever. And what I don't, it took me, I didn't buy a designer purse and I could have afforded one for years. I didn't buy one single designer purse until I was in Monaco for my honeymoon and you can get them cheaper over there. And my husband finally was like, will you please buy yourself a handbag? Like, Just mm. buy yourself one. And it, that was in 2019, my first one. So, wow. but I, and I don't spend on clothes or any of those things, not because I don't like nice things. It's just not a super high value for me. Yeah. Whereas I'll drop, <laughs> I'll drop 20 bucks on 20 diapers because they're, you know, they're going on my baby's butt. So I, I think it's just I like values. I like people talking more openly about what they spend money on mm -hmm. unapologetically. Yeah. I really like it because there it's constantly shrouded in the darkness and yet every single one of us does certain things. And often because we cannot quantify why we buy this type of diaper or cream yeah. or whatever, we feel guilty. We feel that it's frivolous. Yeah. But so's everything in life. Yeah. You could almost yeah. say everything is frivolous. I would much rather someone says, you know what? I worked out my conscious spending plan. Every month, I know the exact percentage I'm spending on fixed costs. I know my investments. I know my asset allocation. And it makes me really happy to have this French hand cream. And so I buy it because I know I'm taking care of the rest of my finances. Mm. That's empowering. And you can do that solo. You can certainly do that in a relationship. 
And you have to remember that the more you, what I call your money dials, the thing you love to spend money on, the more you turn it up and the more you and your partner create this rich life that fits you both like a handmade glove, the more people in the outside world are going to look at you and become confused or even bewildered. Why do they spend that much on diapers? How could they travel for two months every year? Or why don't they get a new iPhone? And that's okay, because the more unique and handmade your rich life is for you, the more confusing it will be for everyone else. Do you want to know what year my computer's from? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> tell me. 2014. Wow. Yeah, and I, I, like record, I record my entire podcast, which is a successful podcast, with a 2014 computer Amazing. and a $69 microphone. Amazing. You know, I, I like that. I like hearing that. And I'm glad you shared that because sometimes people have this belief that if you have money, you, you buy the best of everything. Right. And I don't think that's really healthy either. First of all, you can't buy the best of everything, but you can choose importantly, what is, what, what is part of your rich life and what is not. Yep. So oftentimes when people come to me, if they're spending more than they have, or they just can't seem to save any money, they come to me and they expect me to put them on a budget. I go, have you guys ever done a budget? They go, yeah, it lasted about two weeks. I go, then why are you coming here asking me for a budget? You already know it doesn't work. Let's just not do that. And they feel so relieved when they find out I'm not going to slap them on a budget. Because yeah. first of all, budgets don't even work. It's like a diet. So yeah, it's so restrictive. And here we are going through a list of all the stuff they love. And they're just like, oh, you're going to tell me some Indian dude is going to come over here and tell me what I can't spend money on. So in the back of their head, they already know they're not going to take this seriously. Instead. This is what you can do as a couple. You can go through the money dials exercise. So you start off by saying, what are the things that we love to spend on? And I'll just tell you the most common answers right now. The most common answer is eating out. The next one is travel. The third is health and wellness, which is yours. And then there's convenience. And then there's a variety of other ones. So great. You talk about why, why do you love that? And I love hearing people's answers because they just light up. Then I ask him a second question. What if you could quadruple your spend on that? And this is where people get confused. They make these funny jokes like, oh, I guess I would have to, I'd, I'd be pretty busy because I'd be eating out four times a week. Ha 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 ha. And I go, what a linear way of thinking. Like if you're going to quadruple your spend, you think you're just going to eat out four times a week. Might you go to a different restaurant? Might you invite your friends or family? Or if you turn it 10x, maybe you fly to Italy and go to a farmer's market with a chef and then make the food. That would be beautiful. If you do this individually, it will help you refine what is important to you. If you do it as a couple, it will help you refine that as well. Then you can say, well, what's not important to us? If eating out is important and we want to go out three times a month and order a glass of wine and not worry, then let's plan for that. But what's not important to us? And if you go that way by starting out with what's important to you, suddenly it becomes much easier to reduce expenses on the things that are not. You've said your rich life many times, and I know what that is because I've known you, but I just want to break it down for our listeners. What do you mean to me when you say that? Your rich life is yours. So it can be uh, traveling two months a year. It can be sending your children to summer camp. It can be buying a beautiful cashmere coat. But your rich life is yours, and it's very different than mine. And I think that's an important concept because if you ask people what is rich, 
they have a really funny set of responses. Mm. They will go, it means I can do what I want when I want. I go, oh God, not this again. <laughs> I go, oh, okay, wow, that's so interesting. What do you want? And then they just look at me like a fish. You know, they're just, their mouth is just opening and closing because they never actually thought about what they want to do. Yeah. And then, and or they'll go, it's, uh, it's uh, like a million dollars. I go, uh, okay, does it matter if you live in Brooklyn versus yeah. Toledo yeah. or you're 65 versus 25? Of course it does. That's just a weird number. Yeah. And also that's that's like a number that people used to say in the 70s. Yeah. Have you ever heard of inflation? All right. And the third thing, this is a very haunting one. If they're in debt, they'll go, honestly, I just want to pay off my debt. And I think that's particularly haunting because it's almost like being underwater. All you want to do is get a breath of fresh air but nobody ever woke up in the morning motivated and saying, yeah, my rich life is being at zero. It's not motivational. It doesn't, it's not aspirational. It doesn't help guide you when times get tough to make the decisions you have to make to live a rich life. So I would much rather somebody say something like this. My rich life is that two years from now, my wife and I are going to go on a trip to Rome. I want to watch the sunset. I want to drink wine, uh, look over the Colosseum, and I want to go to an old village where both of our parents are from. I want to take them with us so that they can see where their ancestors grew up. Mm. That is vivid. That is real. And that will get you excited and aspirational so that when you start to go through your conscious spending plan and set up your investments, you know why you are doing it. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. That's one thing my husband and I are good at is getting very specific about our dreams. You know, one of our dreams is my family's here in Austin. His brother and wife and our nieces and nephews are in Australia and his parents are in Greece. And we want to bring everybody together for an epic family oh, trip. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's it. And where will you do it? Either Australia or Greece. Oh, that is yeah. so cool. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing that my wife and I did, which is a fun exercise to do with your partner, is a rich life bucket list. So for everybody listening, doesn't matter if you went on your third date or you've been married for 30 years, this is a really fun one. So each of you pull out a piece of paper and you say, we're gonna do a little bucket list exercise. Now, as most of us know a bucket list, it's the thing you do before you die. This is a little modified. Here's the question you ask your partner. You say, what are the things you wanna do in the next 10 years? And if you do them, you would have lived a rich, meaningful life. Okay, you can write down things that are just for you. You can write down things that are for us together, but write down as many come to mind. So you each take five, 10 minutes, you write these things down, and this is where the magic really happens. One by one, you go back and forth, and each of you shares one of your bucket list ideas, and the other is reacting to it, getting curious. So in our case, my wife said, you know, she said something like, I wanna learn Spanish. And my answer was, oh, that sounds amazing. So where would you do it? Would you do it over Zoom or would you go to Mexico City? What are you thinking, right? Notice that reaction. I'm getting excited at her rich life, which gets her excited. Then she tosses it back to me. And some of them, you know, they're like, she wanted to do something I didn't want to do. I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool, but that one's probably going to be on your own. You could count me out. You know, you're being, you're having fun with it. You're being theatrical, you're flirting. And a couple of mine were, I wanted to write a book at a hotel. Like I said, I love hotels. I'm an author. And so I just have this vision of the, the exact hotel I want to go to, to write my book and have great service. And so we went through a few of these 
And then we picked one that was really meaningful for both of us. In our case, we knew that we want to have a big 10-year wedding anniversary abroad. We knew exactly where. We knew who we were going to bring. We wanted to celebrate. We take any excuse we can to celebrate. And so the second part of this exercise is we just went back to our pages and we guessed how much it would cost. Now, don't open up Google. Just use the back of the napkin and try to come up with a number. So we both came up with numbers. Mine was way more than her number. And my guideline here is whoever's got the bigger number, go with that. <laughs> because even if you are able to save 75% of what you need, that's fantastic. So then the final step of this exercise was we knew how much it was going to cost, ballpark. We knew how many months until that 10-year anniversary. And so every month we set money aside for that. So every month when we talk about money, it's like a video game. We're just a few more percentage points closer to hitting our goal of that amazing 10-year anniversary. And you can do that on a year basis, three-year basis, five-year basis, 10-year basis. I love that. I love that. I love the, the specific because that's that's the laws of manifestation too. People are like, I want freedom. Okay, what? I want yes. abundance. Okay, abundance Get of what? Specific. Parking tickets? <laughs> like, what do you want an abundance of? <laughs> oh, Rumi, you're so good. I could ask you so many more questions, but I, I know you have something really cool, which, you know, I don't know if you know on my podcast, I do these interviews, but I also bring people on and coach them live. So I love anybody else who's doing something like that. And you're doing something similar that people can check out. Will you tell us about that? Yes. So most of us have never heard couples talking, fighting about money, even crying. And I wanted to be able to listen in like a fly on the wall and hear real couples sharing real numbers from behind closed doors. And so that's exactly what I did. Every week on the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast, I bring a couple on and they have some money question. It might be my partner's a spender, I'm a saver. Or the couple with $825,000 of debt, we don't know if we can afford to have children. Or the gentleman whose wife of 21 years was about to divorce him because he's so cheap and they have over $13 million in net worth. So we have couples all over the socioeconomic spectrum. We have straight, gay, international, American, everybody you can imagine. And what you quickly discover listening to couples is that all the things you thought about money quickly fall apart. All these beliefs that, oh, when I have $5 million, then I will stop worrying about money. Well, now you can actually hear a couple with $5 million. Or if I had this situation, then this is how I would act. But you can hear real couples sharing, crying, rolling their eyes. And very recently, we rolled out video. So now you can actually see the couples as they talk I to I love me. that. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to check it out. What's it called? It's called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Ah, I love it. I love it. So everybody can check that out. And where can they connect? I mean, your website's I Will Teach You To Be Rich as well, yes? Mm-hmm. And they can find me on social media, the podcast, and the website and newsletter. Awesome. Thank you, Ramin. I know how passionate you are about this work. I love how you continue to up-level and evolve. And you bring the personal development and psychology to money, which is so needed. They can't, they can't exist without each other. So just really appreciate the work you do in the world. Thank you so much. And thanks for allowing me to share what I've learned. It means a lot. 